0: So, before we begin our episode, I have some talk about some corrections. So, in our last episode, I think that my subconscious combined with a certain amount of alcohol.
1: You're not doing this sober.
0: Where my... uh, hardly ever, although today it's just tea. But I think my subconscious was bleeding into my speech and I just made so many errors, historically speaking. Um, So I would like to clarify a few things. First of all, I introduced the concept of Orangeries. I said that Queen Victoria came up with the idea. That was a load of absolute bullshit. She did have one, don't get me wrong, she had one. But they were a much older idea and they were probably invented by the French.
1: Honestly, that makes a lot of sense
0: yeah but uh so that's another one lost to the franks uh and then the second one is i told the story about the dictionary getting burning getting burning getting burnt getting um, burning, that, getting, burning. <laughs> getting, burning. <laughs> getting burning guys
1: this is why people love this podcast and don't think we're a bunch of idiots talking about a thing we have no like, authority to discuss
0: but yeah so this thing about the dictionary uh, getting burnt yeah. is sort of true and sort of not. So the true story is that it was Thomas Carlyle, uh, and he wrote his epic history of the French Revolution, which was like a massive book. And he took it to his friend John Stuart Mill, and the John Stuart Mill's made burnt Thomas Carlyle's history of the French Revolution, and he then had to spend years rewriting it. So it's a true story. It's just that it wasn't the dictionary. But the reason I thought it was the dictionary is because there's an episode of Blackadder. Are you familiar with Blackadder? Mildly. Yeah. So like for those that don't know, Blackadder is this really good um, British comedy series um, about civil servants through the ages, I guess you could say, mm. um, but there's an excellent episode of Blackadder where it's this exact scenario happens, but it is the dictionary. So in my fevered brain, I think I was remembering <laughs> that episode of Blackadder and I was like this is true historical fact so yes the dictionary never got burned it was the history of the French Revolution
1: um, uh, this is a friendly reminder that we are still waiting for any Dickinson scholars to reach out no that's not true a Dickinson scholar did reach out to us Our- <gasps> did they really? <laughs> yes I got a copy of her book
0: oh yeah you said yeah.
1: <laughs> like, this is what happens you when said, you run the Twitter account
0: d- do we have a Twitter account for this?
1: oh my god Ben this
0: is edicts on edicts a podcast about emily dickinson but now she sings
1: yes she does yeah she does yeah so does the rest of the dickinson clan except for lavinia
0: yeah although she contributes in her own she does in her own marvelous way good golly it made me laugh it did make it made me laugh as well Um, (laughs) so for those of you who have stumbled here and maybe don't know what you're doing here uh, welcome (laughs) Please don't worry, some nice people in white coats will be along shortly for you. For the next episode, Um, don't worry. For the next episode. (laughs) Um, But for now, we are looking at uh, episode five of season three of Dickinson. Yes. Kyle, what's this episode called?
1: This is Sang from the Heart, Sire, and it is directed by, direct, oh my god, directed by (laughs) Keith Powell and written by Elena Smith and Francis Weiss Robkin. Yes, so this is the musical episode of Dickinson I would go so far as to say More so than Split the Lark And I loved it I Me really too it was great so joyful up until that ending Where it all comes crashing down The staircase quite like, in a wedding dress
0: <laughs> Yeah, I have to say I found this episode quite triggering um, Oh god, me too <laughs> Because watching it immediately After having spent nine hours with my family for christmas oh god it was quite difficult
1: mm-hmm. i think but in yes things do catapult
0: yeah. yeah things do catapult from joy to horror in a oh, pretty yeah. in, like a, in, a, in, a, in
1: a minute
0: it's
1: yeah. just like oh no <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> uh yes So, Do you have have your potted summary of the episode for us? Yes, I shall go quickly through this
1: Um, We start with Higginson's response To Emily's letter to the world Where he describes her verse as Alive and wholly new and original Mm. Which brings her great joy Lavinia has taken A vow of silence for the troops Who have fallen There's a quilting bazaar where Betty proves herself to be the best I love her We then move to an auction where Mister Dickinson has revealed himself to be an out of touch fossil at best, uh, mm. with a letter that he has written about how we both need to uh, how we need to listen to both sides of the slavery debate. Which no, we do not, Edward Dickinson. Uh, this leads to Emily again doing some odd, potentially out of character behavior, but I guess it makes sense where she. Uh, decides that the thing we need to do right now is not question their father's behavior, but make him feel happy because it is, after all, Mr. Dickinson's birthday. This then transitions into a sing-along where most of the family, minus Austin, come and sing songs while Emily plays the piano. And then they sort of sit and reflect upon their memories and times together. The the older Dickensons have a really lovely little exchange. I really the those two in that moment. And then Emily sings a song about hard times. Austin comes in and for a moment, it feels like maybe things will be okay. Jane Krakowski's reaction to Austin's entrance is a thing of gold. And then it's revealed that Austin is not here to make you know, the tidings gay, but to in fact rip the family apart once and for all. As he announces he is leaving the firm to establish his own and then divorcing Sue. And then he storms out after Mrs. Dickinson has drunkenly fallen down the stairs in her wedding dress. Finally, the episode ends with Sue discovering Emily's correspondence with Thomas Wentworth Higginson, getting furious with her and storming out, closing the door Godfather style.
0: Yeah. And the hot, everything just kind of ends on that sour note. And I think yep. it really reflects how sometimes with families, um, everything can start out yeah. so well and with yeah. the best of intentions. And then just sometimes bullshit. just think, yeah, like, like a kind of snowball rolling down a cliff. Like, oh, yeah. you know, all it takes is one person to say something out of turn. yeah, um, And very much here things cascade into... Ugh.
1: It is awful. Uh, yeah, <laughs>
0: too um,
1: many awful Christmases. <laughs> were,
0: but before we get memories. there, yes, um, let's first of all talk about the beginning of the episode and the quilt bazaar. I think is it. Yes, it is the quilt bazaar.
1: With... Oh, I also thoroughly managed to like skip over the South Carolina Regiment, um, where we learn a bit more about these black soldiers and what they're going through.
0: Hmm. Yes, and actually we can come back to that because that's yes. quite uh, an interesting... They have mm. some really interesting things to say in that scene. So, I love that. Um, <laughs> this is a good so, episode. Okay, moving on. One thing, one thing that I thought was quite cute um, on the way to the Quilt Bazaar, Emily and Lavinia kind of have this discussion uh, mm. without really having a discussion because Lavinia is not speaking. So in yes. this episode, Lavinia makes, takes a vow of silence to have, show solidarity with the troops. Yes, um, but I love that Emily acknowledges she says to Lavinia um, your performance art has been quite avant-garde lately or something like that yeah. and I, I just like that Emily's like recognizing that Lavinia may not be communicating but she's mm-hmm. she's turning the whole thing into a kind of opportunity to be creative and interesting Artist. and we do see yeah, yeah and there's some excellent um, is it uh, Anna Baryshnikov Anna Baryshnikoff. Does some yeah, she does some excellent mime work. So funny. Um, so just a shout out to her for the <laughs> like, for the episode for that.
1: The entirety um, of the episode. There's a bit where she like,
0: as she's zipping her lips to indicate
1: that she has taken the vow of silence, she like waves her hand in a way that made me laugh. And I was just like, good <laughs> Lord, what a physical comedian.
0: Well, I love, and on that note, like when we get to the end, we can talk about it. But I love that at the end, when when this kind of, train wreck of a family meetings happening yeah, yeah. you can just see on her face she's like do i say something or do i <laughs> what do i do what do like, i do I just... right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> like there's a bit where she like nearly gets up yeah to intervene and then she's like no no i'll just i'll, I'll, just, I'll just sit I'll just, right down
1: again gotta keep the vow gotta keep the vow <laughs> until the
0: end where she's just like this family is insane which yeah yep the quilt bazaar sounds like yes. such a fun idea. I mm. nearly want to go down to the parish council office down the road from me and be like, please can we do a quilt bazaar every year?
1: My goodness. Um, I was like in an episode, again, filled with amazing outfits though. I was like, Betty's outfit, Betty's outfit is so good. Yeah, uh, you'd expect
0: that, wouldn't you? From the best seamstress in New England. Like no, but it's still just worthy of praise because it's so gorgeous. I have to say, like Amherst as a place, mm-hmm. seems really fun to be in. They have all these year-round <laughs> events. Like they do, like they do, like maple treeing, sugaring, and maple sugaring. And they do, and, yeah. sugaring, and they do like um, they do, like dances. And they do, they quilt take bazaars, opium and they, do, and... they take opium. Yeah, and they have seances where actually weird supernatural stuff happens. Yeah. Like, and they burn their church down somehow. Burn... <laughs> well, because of the <laughs> twins,
1: because of the crazy twins who have their moment Py- pyro- pyromania
0: our... yeah <laughs> if i could choose to live in Amherst, i think i would because think about the fun social calendar like clearly a lot of stuff does happen yeah right um, and it reminds you how like back in the days before the internet and things and before covid <laughs> i was going to say People... i think this
1: is also covid jealousy where we're like remember when we yeah. assemble Do in groups
0: <laughs> yeah where we could get together and remember community <laughs>
1: I loved Abby's feminist baby quilt
0: where
1: they're like, that's an awful small quilt. Is it for a baby? And she's like, yes, a feminist baby.
0: What I love is that that then neatly tracks into the next episode and the next time we see Abby. Yes. um, It's uh,
1: exactly where you would expect
0: for the 1860s. Yeah. Um, I do love the quilts. I also Mm -hmm. loved Betty's moment where those two women are discussing her Quilt, and she says, "Art doesn't have to make sense." Yep. Um, yeah, and I love, I love that Betty just kind of refuses to, to, to articulate. Yeah, yeah, like explain herself. She's like, "It's, it's so it, you. Idea. You like it? Either buy it or don't."
1: You know. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, because someone else has proclaimed her a genius, like the two women are fighting over the dress. So, or the quilt, rather.
0: Yeah, I mean that's, that's a, that says something itself about like yep. about. The art world, doesn't it? I
1: mean, mm. as we dive into this, the more I don't know a lot of things, obviously, um, But like the more <laughs> I read about NFTs, I'm just like, I hate where society is going. This is stupid.
0: We get the bit where Mrs. Dickinson literally bids for her: for her own. Gaelic. Yeah, the auctioneer
1: her. in that is so fucking funny.
0: Yeah, um, that's literally how an auction works. <laughs> that's literally
1: how a civil war works. <laughs> and then her just flipping also on a
0: diamond, being like, "I didn't know it was his birthday." <laughs> yeah, happy birthday. To me, that seemed that seemed so true to life though. Like, <laughs> oh I, yeah, I look, my favorite thing is if you're ever in an encounter with someone you don't know, yeah, and they're giving you like grief or something, just be like, oh, "But it's my birthday," and, and- oh. Oh
1: Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. They always
0: just just guilt trip them. Use it. (laughs) The tip tip for the episode is. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, it's a nice scene. Um, Mm. And I like that Mr. and Mrs. Dickinson kind of have this back and forth. um, And you can see that there's a lot of like endearing affection between Mm. them.
1: And Um, also that Mrs. Dickinson is still processing the loss of Lavinia Norcross Norcross.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I mean, when you're, I think if you lose a sibling, like Mm. it's, it would be very hard. I think even if you've, in a way, even if you've had a bad relationship with them, I think it's either it's you've had a good relationship with them and then it's that terrible grief or you've had a bad relationship with them and then it's opportunity lost, you know? Yes. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. either way, it's unpleasant. But yes, especially if I think for sisters who have grown up together, probably a very close bond. Yeah. Um, so, Mr. Dickinson gets approached by Mr. Corky, and he gets criticised. Con- is it Conky or it's Corky? Conky. I want to see. Okay, I really. I mean, first of all, who cares? And so, second of all, oh I God. didn't hear it properly. Um, <laughs> but he criticises Mr. Dickinson's letter. Um, yes, the editor that he wrote.
1: So, I want to say we talked about Mr. Dickinson's essays in a previous episode, and they actually mm. come up again in the next episode. Um, and in my brief research in the time that I have to prep for these episodes, I have tried to find the essays of Edward Dickinson. I cannot find them Can find all sorts of Emily's correspondence with people cannot find his, which makes all this legacy building real funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes to show the vanity of like, yeah, we I think it's the same what we've discussed in the past, not on the podcast, but we've discussed in the past about in the context of talking about fame how Mm -hmm. people don't get to decide whether they'll be remembered or not Mm -hmm. um like what what gets remembered and becomes enduring is very much kind of a matter of zeitgeist and a matter of of the collective subconscious yeah and like some people go to great efforts to try and secure a legacy of a kind and then Mm -hmm rarely lasts more than like a generation or two
1: yeah and Um, honestly if your legacy is writing essays about maybe maybe let's stop and think about this whole abolition thing Eh, i don't know if you want that legacy
0: i don't know but i felt i so i kind of disagreed with you when you said that because i don't think that i mean what i understood from from what mr dickinson said was that he was writing about His brother, and about how Hmm. the Americans in the South are still Americans. And I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. still people. And like, because from some of the stuff that he said in previous episodes, it's clear that he has this sense of, um, yes, we're at war, but we are all one American family, right? Yes. So I didn't know whether he was writing and saying we need to rethink abolition or whether he was writing and saying we need to remember the humanity of our enemy yeah and we don't really mm. know what he said um no. and mr conkey puts it one way and mr dickinson puts it another and yeah it's hard to know but clearly he's made himself unpopular oh, um, yes, persona non grata in amherst indeed that's had a big effect on their kind of social standing i would say mm. but then on the walk back from the from the quilt bazaar yeah. emily and lavinia make this plan don't they to celebrate and Mrs. Ah. Dickinson,
1: because you need somebody else to talk.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Mrs. Dickinson. Yeah, so that's literally why they did that, though, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, um, hundred <laughs> percent. Like crap, Emily needs someone to talk to let's just put Mrs Dickinson in the scene Yeah, so they just decided to do this birthday sing along for Mr Dickinson which I thought was lovely because
1: Mm.
0: I I think people now like I was was talking about this ages ago with my brother and he disagreed with me massively Mm -hmm. Um, but we were talking about appreciation of music and I was Mm -hmm. saying that I think that music has gone from being like a public thing to being a private thing because now when you experience music like obviously people still go to concerts and festivals and things um but for the most part like the probably the number one way we experience music now is through our headphones right yes uh, yeah nearly always in isolation of other people mm. and we make our we we decide what we listen to like we make our own playlists we choose the albums we want to listen to and all these things um oh god, but we've for...
1: atomized even our music experience
0: yeah Earth. exactly god and now if you want to hear new music you kind of have to make a deliberate choice to go and search for it. Like you either right. have to go out to places where live music is going to be performed, or you have Wearing to- Wearing a
1: mask and with proof of vaccination.
0: <laughs> yes. Thank you, Kyle. Um <laughs> Or you have to go on the internet and actually look up yeah. what's new and what's like, new. and try listening to it and things by yourself. Um, but- for most of human history, music has been a communal activity that people did mm. together because you you couldn't just listen to an electric box in your pocket. You had to actually go somewhere where there were musicians or people to sing or, or all this kind of stuff. be able
1: to play yourself, which, as we've discussed, like the Dickinsons were skilled we're quite, musicians. Yeah. 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 And Emily did um, love her piano.
0: Um, exactly. Um, so I think it's very sweet that like and also you think about it in the days before tv they probably did spend quite a few nights around the piano because what what else are you going to do like it's a fun way to pass time it's like it's like now when in Japan you go and sing karaoke like Mm -hmm. it's it's a fun way to spend time with people so why wouldn't you do it and that made me think just as a sidebar about I was reading a book about um, a while back about English folk music because there used to be like a very big legacy of people Mm -hmm. in the British Isles singing Mm -hmm. um, in pubs and things. Um, But now there are very few places left in the UK where people still spontaneously sing in pubs. There's very few pubs where they still encourage that. And people used to sing all day and all night while they were working because it's a way of, again, like passing the time. But now instead of, yeah, Yeah. and now instead of singing ourselves, we just put the radio on and someone else sings to us or we listen to our iPod um, or our, you know, phone or whatever. So, yeah, just like a little reflection on how music has become. Yeah, and just I think it's like, a shame. Is this paradise? Is this, the, is this what we want? <laughs> like, I guess you get the freedom to choose what music you like and listen to what you want right. and also listen a lot more than you otherwise would. But on the other hand, like maybe you don't get the kind of communal
1: right. experience. Of... You experience it alone most of the time. Oh. But
0: yes, so they, have the, they decide to have this sing-along Mm -hmm. with Mr. Dickinson, and to facilitate this, Mrs. Dickinson agrees that she'd like Austin and Sue to be there, even though they're kind of on the outs with them at the moment. Which
1: leads to the scene where Sue is just sitting in her bedroom crying, which is, I believe, the plight of every new mother at some point, because having a baby takes a lot of energy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can only imagine how overwhelming it is, and I think if you didn't need to sit down and have a bit of a cathartic weep every now and Mm then then you're probably not doing it right (laughs)
1: yeah I went to go visit some friends recently who just had a baby and they were both so tired that I was just like I'm just gonna stand here and do all your dishes for you because there are a lot of dishes and I don't know what else to do
0: (laughs) yeah I think like anything you can do to help is probably always going to be welcome but at the same time, it goes back to what we were saying before we started recording about how like around Christmas time, family units, mm. if you're a single person without kids and stuff, you always get <laughs> roped into other people's family units over <laughs> Christmas. And like, sometimes that's nice, but sometimes it's also like, I don't want to experience your family drama with you. Like, exactly,
1: like, <laughs> you come back home and you're like, maybe it's not so bad. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and they always frame it as if they're doing you a favor. Yeah. And then in reality, they're often quite envious that you can kind of like get up and be like, okay, thank you. Like I've had your wine, I've had your food, like I'm going now.
1: I am sober for the holidays, but that's, yeah, that's fine.
0: (laughs) I was not sober for the holidays, but Mm. yes. You're not even sober for this podcast. I literally had two glasses of wine this evening. What can I say? Anyway, I quite
1: liked the scene between Sue and Emily, especially coming off of the previous episode
0: where mentally Emily has declared her love for Sue, but then she does it out loud. She does. And she says it's very sweet. She says that she'll say it every time, every day, until it sinks in. From her dirty little heart. (laughs) Yeah, from her dirty little heart. And I think that's really nice.
1: I know. It's like, that's funny. This is a lovely little exchange between those two,
0: um, and Sue's into the idea of the sing along too. Yeah, she does later really get into it, doesn't she? And we've mm, seen that Sue has quite the voice like and quite the gift. Ella Hunt so. can sing, so it's indeed quite she can. Good,
1: but she also is like, "Don't worry, I will convince Austin to go," which sets up their confrontation, which is difficult. I was curious what your thoughts were about it.
0: I felt very much that sue was i think it, they were both of them were in the wrong obviously in, mm. the, in different ways but i think that sue exemplified the fact that patriarchal ideas infect yep. everyone and not yep. just men and that i felt really sorry for austin because he's there. she's just been talking to emily about how overwhelmed she feels
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then he's there saying i want to help and she's basically saying no no that's um, not for men to do and it's so like it's so horrible to austin because he's a more sensitive guy and he's there mm. saying like i really want to be there for this child i want to be involved like and she's just i mean she's she literally says why would a father ever want a night alone with his baby Yeah, And then she also says That she doesn't trust him to take care of the baby That she won't leave the baby alone with him Which, Um, fair,
1: he has not been The paragon of like Responsibility this season
0: That's very true, but I feel like The choice there was Leave it with Austin or leave it with two pyromaniac Children (laughs) Um, (laughs) So like In that scenario Mm -hmm. I maybe would be like, I might give Austin The go, and then the pyromaniac Children can like, hover Without matches Uh, So I did feel Sue was very harsh there And actually that she Undermined her original message Which was Mm. come with She didn't say like Come with me to this nice party She was like go get dressed we're going to this party do this yeah Um, obviously he was also a dick because he was like i'm not going and digging his heels in and stuff but i
1: mean he is also on the outs with his family and he doesn't have to go like there is
0: that like he he he's considering that while his method and behavior probably isn't good the point he's making is also valid i think that maybe she shouldn't be in the position where she's criticizing him for choosing not to engage with his... Toxic relationship with his father. And also, if he's not going to enjoy it, right. and if he's it's going to cause sit. more problems... Like, Sue, what do you think this ends with? He's just going to get drunk
1: and angry there.
0: So I feel like, in this case, Sue was kind of thoroughly in the wrong. He was wrong as well, but yes. she was definitely kind of putting him in an unpleasant position. And then, as I say, like, she'd just been crying about how she wants more support and then she's down support turns directly turns down support from the one person who is most entitled to give that support
1: Mm. no one is a hero in this scene
0: (laughs) no exactly it's not good and i and i and i do want to say that like in my time working with the homeless i knew Mm. so many men who Mm -hmm. had lost their home through divorce Mm -hmm. and then who had been through the law courts to try and get time with their children Um, and for a lot you know some of these men of course had like drug problems and things like that but for some Mm. of them they didn't really have any significant addiction problems or anything like that their problems were financial in nature and they'd been disadvantaged through divorce and they didn't get the chance to see their family Mm. Um, and it's one of those things where for the large part society benefits men but there are particular areas in which it's massively skewed other way Um, and Mm. one of those is childcare, basically
1: it's i think it's definitely the same here where women in divorces are primarily advantaged especially if the husband is foreign there's a whole thing right now with um, a frenchman who is protesting to get uh custody of his child it's quite an ugly case here Mm. at the moment yeah no it's it's quite sad that like Austin can't get what he wants Sue is turning down what she wants Because she thinks there's a right way of doing things
0: Yeah, it's not pleasant
1: No, um,
0: patriarchy
1: fucks everyone Is the point exactly. of this scene <laughs>
0: Yeah, the this I- these ideas about gender and things Curtail people's freedom all around All yep. around, not just in one way We also had the scene, I think, before that With yes. uh, Henry's English class, right? For the yes, black troops Yes, we
1: mm-hmm.
0: And doesn't Henry go and visit Higginson for this scene or am I getting mixed up with another one? So
1: Higginson Henry starts by visiting Higginson Um,
0: Oh yeah and it's so embarrassing because Higginson's like what's up my brother and things like that And I
1: also just my notes are just like and Higginson instead of taking any responsibility reads instead from Emily Cool
0: But also my question my question is why isn't Higginson going out and talking to these yes, troops like aren't they the supposed to be his they are under unit. his like, command yeah can't he go and I mean did you it know about very, like, like
1: this is a tangent but like Washington for his you know we in America obviously venerate him as like an amazing person all around but like was generally kind of a bad military leader at the start of his career <laughs> Like, oh, was, just, really? was just given a command because he was a rich white dude fucked up, like, disastrously the first time through and then just kept
0: failing upwards. So, till he became the president. I mean, that does happen a lot. Like, I think that's the standard thing. I remember, because i said this before, but, like, I've just finished listening to a bunch of, I can't remember which university it was, but this American lecturer doing a series on Victorian Britain Mm. and he was talking about the British Army and how, like, one of the things that made colonialism so so effective was that midway through the 1800s the british army decided to stop giving positions out on the basis of class
1: and start giving them
0: out on the basis of merit instead wow okay (laughs) and that and that difference was what allowed them to be so effective in places like india and and things like that (laughs) oh boy, compared to other european compared (laughs) to other european yeah i'm not saying it was a good thing (laughs) i'm just saying that that's like Compared to other European military forces at the time But to start with It was all like You're a rich white person from a noble family Here be in charge of this army Command Yeah and that never went very well
1: I was Um, reading about queer men in Japan And like I guess Parts of the country during the Meiji Restoration Became famous for like That's where all the gay men live Uh, It was mostly in Kyushu but like, <laughs> that's also where they ran the navy or like a big chunk of the navy and um,
0: that makes sense
1: primarily before this time like the navy wasn't known for being full of gay men the way it is in the west but like after this basically the guy in command of the navy just started appointing all of his gay friends and that's where the navy <laughs> of japan became known for like male-to-male sexual relationships and I was just like, oh
0: funny that I think it's because every sailor knows that their true wife is the ocean (laughs) and that no other woman will ever do so Mm, so I guess I'll just have
1: sex with this man next
0: to me and be
1: emotionally married to the ocean
0: yeah, sure. that is legit how it works (laughs) We are so far off oh my god Anyway, um <laughs> so one of the interesting things like when Higginson obviously gets asked about the weapons and things he said it's in process. Yeah. Um which I feel like is one of those filler things mm-hmm. that people say when they don't want to give you a definitive answer about something. And like we're um, it's pending, we're waiting. Yeah, yeah, it's pending. And like when Henry goes back to relay this to the black troops, I think one of the most interesting thing that the the men were saying is they said like oh an infinity of white men yeah stand before us and and this thing and my initial thing because i'm a privileged white person mm. was to be like but it's just bureaucracy like everyone has to deal with bureaucracy like bureaucracy is a evil that we all experience and then oh. i was like well wait but then i reflected and i was like oh wait but actually if yeah. there were black people within the bureaucracy, this would not be, this particular problem would not exist. So then it's like, yeah. So, th- so what I'm saying is my gut reaction was to be like, that's a problem we all have. And then I was like, oh no, actually, it's yes. not. So, Internal-
1: <laughs> internalized privilege is its own thing.
0: Yeah, so yeah. I acknowledged that I had a moment of needing to to get woke, as it were, <laughs> in that. <laughs> I was like, wait, but, oh, no. I was oh, like, oh, yeah, that's racism.
1: I'm part of, There it is. I'm part of the problem. Uh,
0: yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, no. Okay.
1: <laughs> I do want to say I like the fact that the troops, when they are introducing themselves, talk about their interests as individuals and not any sort of cliched idea of white supremacist cinema that has informed our concepts of the Civil War
0: it's not like they're a support group and they're standing up to discuss their experiences of racism. Like they stand up and introduce themselves and they, I love the bit with like um, Michael Jordan. Michael, Whoever (laughs) in the the writer's
1: room came up with the Michael Jordan bit is a genius. It's fucking hilarious.
0: (laughs) And I love how like um, how that guy, I can't remember his name, but he predicts the future. Erasmus.
1: He's my favorite. Erasmus. Yeah. And then the other guy's
0: like, and then the other guy's like, "That's black excellence." <laughs> I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's fair enough." Like,
1: <laughs> oh God, everything um, out of Erasmus's mouth is—it's
0: so good. <laughs> I would—I would kind of accuse it of going into that cliched trope of like the magical black person. But also, they're having more fun with it, and it's
1: not about like a white person's relationship to the black person. So, yeah, exactly.
0: So yeah. it's it kind of, it, I think it lampshades mm. that rather than being that, For if sure. that makes sense. So yeah, I thought that was really good. So yeah, then they have their sing along. They go to the sing along, which household. is
1: done as a like, they clearly put the camera on a track and are sort of tracking through and matching everything. I loved how this was done. We're...
0: so did I it's like it's not a montage but it's like a series of little clips isn't it of mm. of each one of singing a song a different song yes. yeah and I did wonder like when I, as we've been recording this podcast and watching the show mm-hmm. it I'm really impressed that they seem to have just kind of carried on despite COVID Yeah. and we do have lots of scenes where people are close to one another and talking and mm. And I was always like, did they all isolate together, or what did they do? Like, I, right. I, I have no idea how they managed it because it's a quite, it's not a massive cast, but it's quite a, at this point. There's a mm-hmm. lot of side characters and and bits and pieces and and guest stars mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wondered how they managed to pull that off, really. So good job to the cast and crew.
1: I was going to say, having been on a few jobs like larger scale jobs in the current era. There is a lot of testing, like constant testing um, Mm -hmm. to ensure the safety of people on set. So I'm sure that is part of it, but yeah, like these people are close to one another. They're singing. They haven't kissed, which it was funny because again, I am the sole Twitter person, obviously of this podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. And they did talk about how At one point they wanted Sue and Emily to kiss in that scene Together earlier, but they decided not to Because of safety So
0: Yeah, and you can understand that
1: For sure Um,
0: Yeah, it does I mean, here in the UK, just as like Another, I know, I know I keep doing sidebars (laughs) Sidebar Sidebar, there's a um, Take your shot, everybody He
1: said sidebar again
0: it's like, oh, God, don't make a drinking <laughs> game with this podcast, please. I dread to think of the, like, oh. bad vocal habits I get into. Nobody is um, listening
1: to this sober, I guarantee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a really famous soap opera here in the UK called EastEnders. They produce, they, they film, they record and release one episode. I think it's every weeknight, every week. And they kept going throughout the pandemic.
1: Wow, wait, even um, in the early days?
0: They they had a brief okay. break, okay. very okay. brief okay. break, uh, and then they kept going. So I think it's yeah. And then every year they do several live broadcasts. Okay. Where it's they obviously they broadcast it live, so it's a bit more like a play than anything. But mm-hmm. literally like outdoors and indoors, and they don't really have they have like one massive set basically, which is. But anyway, they just kept going through the whole pandemic. But you could tell that things were different because it was so weird because everyone was like, never got more than two metres. The actors never got more than two metres close together. Wow. So you had all these scenes where like, in normally, in normal circumstances, people would behave differently. But instead they're all standing two metres apart. And they tried to do people kissing, but they would do it by like shooting from behind the person. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) And then like... So it looked, it looked so obviously fake. Right. Um, but yeah, it was just a really weird like way of doing it. But props to them, they kept going and putting episodes out. So um, so they do have this lovely sing-along um, mm. and they sing a variety of different songs and yes. some members of the family dance. Um,
1: and I think <laughs> I we had to kind
0: answer. of... We, we, and actually, all, all of the Dickinson family, all of the actors sing quite well. Um, mm. Even even Mister Dickinson, Mister Dickinson's out sing, there. Yeah, he yeah he, he sings quite well. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. But yeah, I I thought we had two particular songs that were very lovely, which were obviously Ella Hunt singing, um, and she just has like such a such a lovely yeah voice. You know, like I mean, I don't don't know what her background is, but
1: Ella Hunt, she actually I think her first big movie was some sort of zombie musical set at christmas in scotland somewhere so she sings she has been singing for almost her entire career and she did release an ep so go stream that in your
0: headphones so that you don't have to talk to people anymore she was in les mis that's interesting oh in the movie in the film yeah she didn't have like a named role she but she was singing in it
1: i didn't like the movie but good for her
0: Hmm, there you go. Interesting, yeah. isn't it? But yeah, and then also we actually had a lovely song from Hayley Steinfeld as oh well. God, I think this um, is where I cracked in this episode. <laughs> I, I mean, so I say lovely. I didn't really like the song I, personally. Really? Yeah, it's not. It wasn't my kind of.
1: Do you song. know
0: anything um, about uh, the man
1: who wrote it? No. Okay, so Hard Times Come Again No More is written by Stephen Foster, who is, like, one of the earliest super-famous American composers. He was known, like, on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, He's the guy who wrote, like, Oh, Susanna and "Camptown Races, Beautiful Dreamer, any of these? But, yeah, Hard Times Come Again No More is another one of his big hits, and it is still covered today. So... Wow, I am shocked that you were like, I don't know about this one.
0: No, I just didn't, it, yeah, it didn't appeal to me. I think perhaps the way it was sung, it was very, I felt like it sounded very modern, um, mm. even though it's not. And that maybe created like a, a moment of dissonance for me. Interesting. Um, but Hayley Seinfeld does have a beautiful voice. And I thought it might be worth just taking a moment to talk about her musical career, actually. Oh, this
1: is a direction I did not anticipate us going.
0: <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, she's much. the star of the, sh- yeah. she's the, she star of the show. But she is. She yeah. is Emily. Yeah, and I mean, she has a lot of... She has quite a few singles now, like... I only know that yeah, most
1: most girls song, and then that song about uh, masturbating. <laughs> it is!
0: <laughs> I mean... But I have to, have to say, I've, ri- I've written to, like... Um, I've written sorry I don't know what's going on I'm tired I've listened I've listened (laughs) to actually a surprising amount of Hayley Steinfeld stuff and I I like her wow music so I think that that's worth if anyone doesn't listen to her music it's worth going like on Spotify or YouTube or whatever and just checking it out and she said in interviews that she's um wants to lean more in that direction in her career
1: I um, read somewhere that actually working on, or like learning about Emily Dickinson made her want to like focus more on that, which I was just like, cool, Emily Dickinson is inspiring people all over the world, even now.
0: Yeah, and you can understand it, like, if, mm. you know, poetry is, is song. Yes. Um, in many ways, and like, yeah, so I can imagine Haley kind of feeling like, oh, maybe I could channel some of this creative energy into some lyrics
1: i actually wanted to go back very briefly and very briefly it's not going to be brief i'm warning you now uh and talk about the scene that sue and emily have in the parlor where sue talks about safe in their alabaster chambers because oh yes safe in their alabaster chambers is the poem that i based my terrible dickinson spec script about so oh really yes it is i was like i knew they were going to have to do it i just wasn't sure how they were going to do it and like the script that i wrote is based on season one emily who was far more of a like impetuous brat than uh emily is now um so like it was completely different and will never see the light of day but the poem of safe in their alabaster chambers is quite interesting mm. because One, it was one of the ones that was published while Emily was alive in the Springfield Republican. Right. But it's also one of the few that Emily went back and actually rewrote because Sue did critique it like she does in the episode where she says, oh, I think the second stanza, you could get rid of it. And so actually there are two different versions of it, excluding the Mabel Loomis Todd version where fucking Mabel Loomis Todd decides to just throw all of it together. Why not? Ugh, Mabel. Yeah, so there are two different versions. Emily wrote one. It was published anonymously, and people think that likely Sue submitted it to Sam Bowles anonymously. And then Emily went back and rewrote it after receiving this letter from Sue, which I find fascinating. I'm just going to read a little bit of Sue's letter to Emily critiquing safe in their alabaster chambers version one. Yeah, please do. I am not suited, dear Emily, with the second verse. It is remarkable as the chain lightning that blinds us hot nights in the southern sky, but it does not go with the ghostly shimmer of the first verse as well as the other one. It just occurs to me that the first verse is complete in itself. It needs no other and can't be coupled. Strange things always go alone, as there is only one Gabriel and one son. You never made a peer for that verse. This is a reminder that Susan Gilbert Dickinson is damn smart and is probably the only critic that Emily responded to.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, so. I mean, looking looking at the poem mm. itself, it I can see exactly what she means. Like she
1: it's interesting to me because I actually like the rewrite um, that Emily does. And I think that works better because I, I, should we go into the poem
0: now at this point? Yeah, we can go All a right. little bit into the poem. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Cause so I'll just read the first version and then I'll read the second version and we can talk very briefly about them. So safe in their alabaster chambers, Untouched by morning and untouched by noon, sleep the meek members of the resurrection, rafter of satin and roof of stone. Light laughs the breeze in her castle above them. Babbles the bee in a stolid ear. Pipe the sweet birds in ignorant cadence. Ah, what sagacity perished here. So that is the first version. And the second, well, I'll just read the second stanza of the other version that she rewrote. And it is, Grand go the years in the crescent above them, Worlds scoop their arcs, and firmaments row, Diadems drop, and doges surrender, Soundless as dots on a disk of snow.
0: They're completely different, aren't they?
1: They are completely different. Um, good job, Sue Dickinson, for or Sue Gilbert Dickinson, for being like, wait a second. Because there is something to that first stanza that she says. And the, mm. the original one that Emily wrote is far too, like, I don't know. What's the word?
0: I think it's, the first one is, the first version is too breezy and light. Yeah, and it's, it spe- the, speaks more about, like... Not playful, but oh, it's it's lighthearted.
1: Yeah, there's a better word that I'm not coming up with. It's almost too, um,
0: t- it just, yeah, flippant. It's flippant, it's almost too fey, if you see what I yeah, mean. Yeah, sure. Um, whereas the second version is more, um, grandiose, I think. Mm, it's grandiose, but
1: also like I like the idea that, especially the bit about diadems drop, I think about that line a lot for some reason these days living post coup attempt where like... the um
0: th- the second version is more mm. solemn
1: mm, it is and,
0: and, and suits the i the actual theme of the idea of the poem more it um
1: it also almost feels cosmic yeah like, the celestial above. The- yes yeah where it is just like the world continues and goes and is like this grand Thing where stuff keeps happening, but to the dead, the world has stopped until the yes. resurrection. Mm. So, yeah, I like I like both versions though. I under I mean, Emily is a good poet; <laughs> she's yeah. great. But I think Sue is right in saying that the the light-hearted, flippant first version isn't quite right. Mm so yeah i don't know i got really into in college um yates had a version of sailing to byzantium which Mm. starts with the line like that is no country for old men um which is Mm. where that comes from but like it was completely different in his original version and i found like these excise stanzas that he had gotten rid of and it was just this eye-opening moment for me to be like oh, right, like poets have to sit there and they'll throw out entire chunks of their writing because it just doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes this, I mean, you have demonstrated that to me perfectly because even with Emily, I remember for my birthday, you gave me that um, book of envelope poems, Mm -hmm. which are just the poems that Emily scrawled on the back of envelopes and things. Yeah, And most of them aren't even complete. Most of them are like rough ideas for a stanza, you know, Mm. and that's so true. Like think about, how writers now and then probably produced so many more words than what end up in in the final yeah. product. Oh yeah, um, and it's like um, it's like my professor at university said. Like when I was doing my dissertation, he was like, write, 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 and write, write until you have like nearly double the word count you need, and then yep. cut, 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 and cut until you cut down to the bone <laughs> of what's most important, basically. Mm-hmm. And that almost goes with the same thing as like, what's that famous fashion designer who said like, before you leave the house, always take one thing off.
1: Oh, I have no idea. Oh, shit.
0: <laughs> um, fashion, no, right. oh I, God. <laughs> no, no, I forgot. I think it, I can't remember who it was like, but um, there's, a fam- there's that famous thing of like, always take one thing off before you leave the house.
1: Coco Chanel. It was Coco Chanel. Chanel there you go. I did, do you know
0: what? In my head, I did think it was Chanel, but I was like, I don't want to say that because it might not be, and then I'll just sound like I can do it. are going to have to um, have another
1: corrections Corrections, course.
0: yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. So there's, it's just that idea of like, sometimes what's more important is what you take out than what you put in.
1: Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but no, I think like the, the history of Alabaster Chambers is fascinating. I'm really glad that they managed to put it into the show because I think it's important to their dynamic
0: that's an excellent funeral poem as well mm, yes that's a, that's a lovely one to if I die before you make sure they have that read at my funeral
1: right <laughs> to, to all the fans out there please remind me I will not remember uh, <laughs> I'll have to figure out which one I want read at my funeral it'll be an Emily for sure
0: <laughs> it'll have yeah it'll have to be the so they sing around the piano they have yes. this love these lo- two lovely songs mm. um and then Austin shows up and he sings with Emily doesn't he
1: yes and for um, a brief moment it's like maybe it'll all be okay
0: uh yeah so for a, for a moment it seems kind of like he's come there's going to be a reconciliation um it's all going to be fine before that we do get the bit where Mr and Mrs Dickinson reminisce oh, about how they met at the chemistry I love lecture
1: this scene I
0: love this scene and there's a really weird, like, child bride joke. <laughs> <Where> <laughs> all the
1: other kids look at each other like, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how Mr. Dickinson's like, you'll always be my child bride. Like, as if that isn't it's really such a gross. Like,
1: But it's also, like, <laughs> such a joke that someone would make. Ugh.
0: Yeah, it's exactly the kind of thing that, like... Um... Fucking boomer. Anyway.
1: <laughs> Wait, also one other thing for hard times come again no more i did find that apparently during the civil war the soldiers would sing their own version of it called hardtack come again no more which is funny what, what hardtack hardtack are like old biscuits that they would use for like food
0: ah uh...
1: like, god we don't want to eat any more of these old biscuits so, it's a joke about scurvy. got you. It's, it's, No, it's not about scurvy. They're not getting citrus.
0: <laughs> they all have scurvy. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's a joke about scurvy. <laughs> so, yeah, Austin comes in and sings with Emily. Isn't There's this bit where, just before this, I think the first thing that shows that this isn't going well yeah. is that Mr. Dickinson says, like, that, doesn't he say, like, that's a lovely song that you can teach your Oh, the two of you could teach your child. And Sue says, you mean me and Emily? And he says, no, I mean you and Austin. Uh, And it's like, that is the... Yeah. That's the beginning of the descent into hell. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So, first of all, I think that speaks so much to where Sue's headspace is at. And she's lucky that she doesn't end up in an asylum after saying something like that she would
1: have um, up until like the what the 60s and the 70s
0: yeah so like austin then says he has an important announcement to make while mrs dickinson goes to get her wedding dress rob says and of course he makes these announcements that he's going to start his own law firm that he's going to specialize in divorce law and that he's going to use his expertise to divorce sue yes. um, and I have to say, like, I kind of felt for him because I think there's something worth remembering. And, it, and he makes this point when he says to Emily, uh, he makes a pointed comment to Emily about this, but fundamentally, his wife is having an affair with his sister. Yes. And like, whatever else you think about his behavior, that is a legitimate reason to divorce someone. hmm. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. if I found out that my husband was sleeping with my sister, I'd be like, mm, We're done. Maybe this this relationship is probably over now. Yeah. And he's known it for a while, but I think that it's never been so much of a problem as it is now, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Pat, and so it's worth remembering that for all the people out there who are like, Austin's so terrible. Whoa. Like, let's just take a moment and see it in that context.
1: Especially if Um, like Sue is allowing herself to do these like sorts of things that are against the, you know, expectations of a marriage, and then to turn around to him and be like, no, you you aren't allowed to deviate. I am.
0: Yeah, which is very much what she has been like. She's she's saying, Oh, I want to have this unconventional relationship with Emily, but how dare you try to do to have an unconventional Yeah. Parenthood, you know. Yeah. Um, so I can I can totally understand how Sue's conversation with him earlier and her comment there mm. kind of trigger this. Mm-hmm. That's it. We're getting divorced, sort of line. Ugh. Miss, and this causes an argument between Austin, Emily, Mister Dickinson, Sue, just like everyone and everyone. And Lavinia like, like flailing. <laughs> <laughs> Lavinia flailing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and again I just love that it. it's like everyone's been in that situation where you're there when other people are having a fight and you're like I really don't know whether to say something or just
1: what do I do? Just
0: let <laughs> just let it play out. And I think the correct answer usually is just to let it play out because yeah. it's rare that you can say anything helpful in those situations. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> or you could do the Mrs. Dickinson route, which is just shut the door and walk away.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's it? She says she's like, I'll come back another time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that she then goes back upstairs oh, and God. Then has to come back downstairs. Well, she, she comes back stairs
1: all... in a big way. Yeah. That stunt fall um, is impressive. Okay. But yeah. Anyway, let's really finish good, up the let- fight.
0: It's a fucking yeah. great stunt fall. Like, um, she goes all the way down the stairs. And I think in many ways, like, this fight culminates mm-hmm. in Emily saying to Austin, you said I had to choose, and I right. choose dad. But, so she's choosing Mr. Dickinson.
1: It also brings up that moment from season one, the circus mm-hmm. episode, where Mr. Yeah, Dickinson
0: slaps her. Um, and,
1: and it's that, in many ways like, uh yeah. Like again
0: on. it's Austin is very overtly pointing out like why do you support this man who yeah. is abusive towards you. Yep. And I think we'll talk about it even more when we come to our next episode but mm. it, there is like a weird thing where in the first series yeah Emily was so against her father and was so rebellious and yet in this series she's so submissive and so and desperate to be the perfect to yeah. and desperate to please, and the result of that is that she is blind to the fact that maybe Austin, again, as much as his behaviour is unacceptable and he is struggling with alcoholism and things like that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he is perhaps still correct fundamentally, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and she's just kind of can't see that. So, yep. But like, I
1: don't know, abusive relationships mess people up it's bad.
0: It's really bad. They do, they do. And also like it's difficult because I think especially in families like the line between, the line between, I'm going to sound really crazy saying this, the line between intimacy and manipulation is very thin.
1: I think that's true Um, in romantic relationships and friendships as well honestly.
0: It is, it is. And I think um, in families it's very, it's very hard sometimes because we all. The thing about when you're intimate with someone in whatever context mm-hmm. is that at some point, inevitably, you are going to say something or do something hurtful to one another. Yes. Um, and that doesn't necessarily constitute abuse. That's that's human nature. Like you, you can't be perfect to everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difficult thing with family is that sometimes it's so hard to know where the line right. has been crossed over from. From that, from being flawed humans who say hurtful things sometimes, to active gaslighting and abuse, abuse and yep. yeah, it's very hard to tell sometimes. Yeah. Um, just speaking as someone who who's done a little bit of social work, and it's so hard to know mm-hmm. whether in a relationship is abusive or whether it's just that, like people are in a dark place and aren't functioning very well, and yeah. So
1: it's it's it's, ugh, it's a ugly moment.
0: So Austin leaves after yep. Emily has made this decision, and then Mrs. Dickinson. Oh no, Mrs. Dickinson falls down the stairs, and then Austin leaves. Yeah,
1: which um, I did laugh at. Like, man, he does not go to check on her at all. He stays at the door. No,
0: like Jesus Christ. Yeah. What he says, he's like, "Jesus as he, Christ." As he storms out. Ugh. Which is what I say whenever something really bad happens. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, that's, that's what I say. When I stub my toe, I'm like, Jesus Christ.
1: My catchphrase is.
0: <laughs> um, or sometimes I, sometimes I even resort to Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, when it's really bad. <laughs> you are an old man. Uh. Or I say, or I do say sometimes. Also, I've been known to say, uh, "God help us," <laughs> 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 which is my favourite. That's my favourite one. That's when that's, someone's doing something really bad, and I'm like, "Oh incredible. God, help us!" I
1: should use that
0: one. <laughs> yeah, you should. It's it always God makes people it always us. makes people doubt themselves God if they're like us. doing something embarrassing, and then you say like, "Oh God, help us!" They're like, like, "Oh, <laughs> what have <am> I done?" <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's kind of like nearly the end of the episode. Yes, but we have one
1: last awful confrontation.
0: We do, and this one is the most telling of all. Uh, Um, is it? Well, no, not really, but it's no, I feel like
1: the awesome one anyway. Yeah, it's like I feel like the awesome
0: (laughs) one is the bigger one, but sure. And to go along Um, with this. (laughs) I think it's really a sign of sociopathy that Mm. Sue's husband has just said he's gonna divorce her, but the thing she's really upset about is These Dickinson letters? Because <laughs> she's like, oh, I don't care about... She literally says, she's like, I don't care about Austin. She's like, but you need to explain this letter to me, please. What the fuck? And I was wow. like, that's, that's a certain amount of uh, I mental gymnastics. Of
1: that. That's that fucking hilarious. One. I was just sort of like, oh, weird priorities to be like, how dare you share this poem as my baby is over in the other room with the pyromaniacs and my alcoholic
0: <laughs> husband. <laughs> exactly as as i say there's a certain amount of mental gymnastics going on there Um, because if it was me i'd probably be shaking her and be like you're you're getting a divorce in the
1: 1860s in the civil war with a baby
0: so anyway emily kind of goes up there and sue what is it sue says she's like you need to explain
1: how could you send this to a this like all anyway yes go on
0: (laughs) No, I was just going to say, like, she's very dramatic. It's kind of like, she's like, how could you write to this scene. man? Yeah. Right. And you it's don't like,
1: mention me. Like, oh, yes, my brother's yeah. wife, who I'm
0: fucking, also critiques my poems. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how can you put that in the letter? I know. Dear Mr. Higginson, <laughs> despite my incestuous union, with, Wait, I... With my, my, <laughs> I do not have anyone with which to discuss poetry. <laughs> Would you do me the honour?
1: Oh my god! I, I maybe we should just write this off as like Sue has baby brain at the moment and is not well rested.
0: And I put in my notes. I put. I put. Does this count as cheating? Exclamation point. Question mark. Underline. Right. Like
1: Austin is literally being cheated on, and it's like well, yeah. I will take these steps to e- e- extract myself from this situation, and Sue is like. You sent How a
0: poem. You, yeah. You sent a poem to someone. And then she says very she does so. I think there's two profound things Sue does say to Emily. Mm, mm. Um and the first one is she says, Ever since I had a baby, it's like I've ceased to exist. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an experience that probably a lot of parents can mm-hmm. can can identify with. Because I think sometimes when you have a child, not only do you have to sacrifice so much of your own time and energy to the child, but also everyone in your life kind of becomes more interested in the child.
1: Well, and also like you spend so much time taking care of the baby. You aren't taking care of yourself. Again, Mm. I went to my friend's house and spent the time doing dishes because like they literally just didn't have any. And like, then I left Like It wasn't like how we interacted before and it'll never be that way again because they have a kid now. It is a lot of time and energy and if Emily wants to devote her time to her poems, like she's not going to be able to see Sue the same way. That's just growing up and it fucking blows. As Sue says earlier, life is hard for all of us.
0: Yeah. I think the second thing that Sue says um, is both insightful and Mm. hypocritical um yeah she says you think you're fighting she says this she says you know both emily and austin have something in common which is that you think you're fighting for something but really you're just running away
1: as sue runs away
0: (laughs) as sue literally fucking runs away um and i wanted to kind of say like that might be accurate and we can discuss why that's accurate for emily and for austin mm. but it's accurate for sue as well because sue has literally in a previous episode been like emily imagine if we yeah, became um, lesbian wives and we ran away to the and forest. took this baby to the yeah. forest and like that everyone is doing this at the moment um, <laughs> and i actually think austin again i sound like i'm singing his praises but in this episode i think he's maybe the one person who's turned around and been like this is the, sol- th- like, these are the steps I need to take. Yeah. To solve my problems now.
1: Yeah. Well, this is one set of steps I can take to get out of this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hmm.
0: I mean, do you think Emily's running?
1: I don't know. I don't. She has decided to devote her energy to her poems, she has made that clear to Sue sue has made it clear that like her baby is the most important thing in her life right now she has articulated a fantasy that emily cannot participate in if she wants to do her poetry like Uh. i think that in this situation emily isn't necessarily running away but she's also not running to sue like maybe that's the thing is like it's the running away from me like you are running away from this relationship. If you're going to earlier in the episode, profess your love to me and then turn around and be like, actually no.
0: Yeah. I think that does, that adds to the sting, which is that Emily has on so many occasions said that Sue is her muse and that she loves Sue and all these things. And right. yet she is then going to someone else and seeking approval. And, and Sue does recognize in the letter yeah. that Emily's language, when she writes to Higginson is so, Almost pathetic. You know? It is pathetic, and yeah, and like, and so diminutive. Yeah, and like, I think that would be. I I I find it offensive when people I respect a lot diminish themselves for others. Mm. Um, and I imagine if you're in love with someone, it's very painful to see them go begging and crawling. Yeah, to to someone else. But I do think Emily is running. I think what she's running from though isn't anything to do with Sue. I think that Emily is in denial about her family and also is in denial Mm. about the civil war.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like this whole season, she's been like, we need to be positive, blah, blah, blah. When the reality is, is that people aren't really feeling very positive. And maybe what people need more is someone to express their sorrow and anxiety and grief. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Emily is just in denial and she's running from... The sorrow. The reality of the world. The reality. yeah. And I think that is happening. So I think Sue is being very insightful. I just mm. think that she's also being hypocritical. It's like she's being insightful
1: <laughs> to everyone else but herself. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Like, it's
1: it's like how everyone has pandemic brain right now and we're all completely out of our minds. Like everyone then had civil war brain and was just like
0: well, I do think like um that kind of like Madness can Come mm. to Societies, like I do believe in the collective Unconsciousness, yes. I also believe in Kind of group Theories around behaviour and things And I just think that sometimes like Society, go- I mean look at the fucking witch hunts <laughs> yeah. I mean what, ha- yeah. <laughs> what happened there for a hundred years Where we went around uh, Beheading a bunch of women yep. For heresy, do you know what I mean Like These things kind of do happen the Collective
1: mania quit.
0: of yeah exactly kind of collective mania and i think that
1: that has very much the collective mania of societies and katavasis my analysis of elena smith's dickinson for my <laughs> phd project
0: that would be a good phd project um, i think you might have to broaden it slightly beyond the remit of the show no <laughs> <laughs> you might have to just discuss emily dickinson in general but the civil can't. war you shan't okay no, well that's can't. fine <laughs> um i mean i'm not marking it so that's fine. Yeah, i'm not grading my advisor you is so.
1: just like can we please talk about something else besides emily dickinson and i'm like who are you everyone else in my life
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're just running away and then you like the door. <laughs> Run out. i'll be here for the <laughs>
1: next office hours <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I think that's about everything for the episode. For that's everything for me. Yep. Yeah. Uh, What would you? How many loaves of bread would you give this episode? I really loved
1: this episode. It was a roller coaster of joy and sadness. Mrs. Dickinson broke my heart. I'm going to give it nine. I will thoroughly
0: overrate the entire season again. I don't care. (laughs) Nine. I'm actually also going. To oh. give this a high score, I'm going to give this an eight. Yeah, which is higher than I think anything else I've given this season. I think um, so. I, I,
1: we're uh, not tracking loaves of bread, people.
0: <laughs> no, we don't track that. We don't track that shit. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it was surprisingly good. It's a very quiet episode. Mm, yeah. Um, and it feels like not a lot happens, but I so much happens. Felt that the drama was just so much more realistic for that. Yeah. It felt like almost like a bit like a soap in a way. Ah,
1: sure. Where just everything has to come out at some point. And so Austin does it. Yeah, exactly. He takes the Um, bandages they made from episode three and pulls them all off.
0: And I loved the bit with the black troops and Mm -hmm. the different characters that were there. And I really enjoyed even like the quilt opening with the quilt bazaar quilt I felt bazaar was lovely. like
1: yeah
0: I felt like I was stepping into New England a bit and mm. the the kind of life that they were living and stuff and the family singing around the piano and it just it felt more authentic to me than a lot of other stuff that's been on the show so far so uh yes, yes. well written well, well done. directed excellent
1: yeah. episode it's so good
0: and an right. excuse to hear Ella Hunt sing as well.
1: Oh my God, so good. And a surprise appearance from Haley Stanford and Jane Krakowski. God, just a yeah, stack of well. singers. Well, yeah, very
0: good. Oh, so good. Has, I did want to say this, and I, I think this is a good time to say it. Um, one of the things that occurred to me all through doing this podcast, but especially now, is that I actually think that this would be even better, not as a TV show, but as a musical.
1: Oh. Uh. Elena Smith move it to Broadway when Broadway can Lit- safely happen again
0: <laughs> literally it could be a three act yeah musical and each season is that could be could be an act and yeah you'd have to like shrink it down mm. um and I, and i would do it as like the you know the episodes where emily visits another literary figure or another literary figure interacts with emily Ambers, yeah I would literally do that as like the main moti, like main
1: ah.
0: thing, and I would have it the have the play be about Emily's
1: becoming a poet,
0: becoming a poet, and like her her views on poetry and on art and things, yeah, and like yeah, and have everything else be like in the periphery, mm. um, but yeah, like I think it could do, it and could
1: then in that. the end, she learns the real mentor she needed was there all along as she pulls out Sue's letters to her and reads them out loud as the exactly fades, yeah. as The spotlight fades out <laughs> and then yeah, they and make I out. would have
0: <laughs> and I would have the very opening of the musical be split the lark and I would have uh, a hunt be sue and sing done. split the lark and then like because because split the lark is all about like facing your doubts and stuff
1: but facing and the and- doubts of your lover
0: Yeah, but like it all all works, Kyle. Don't question it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go go. watch your
1: Emily Dickinson musical. We're going to boot the bell of Amherst off of Broadway forever.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well then, everyone, thank you very much (laughs) for listening to our little podcast. Um, I hope that it wasn't too arduous for you. You Mm -hmm. can write to us at edictsonedicts at gmail.com, all lowercase. Um, and I may not look at the Twitter, but I do occasionally log in and look at the emails, just saying. Yes. And Kyle definitely looks at the emails. definitely do. And yeah, if you've got any comments or anything, let us know. Thank you very much for tuning in.
1: Yes. Goodbye.